You're listening to Q Marriage Mentors with Jeff Lutz, a podcast featuring conversations with remarkable lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender couples. What makes great relationships work? Jeff will ask the questions. You'll hear the answers. Together, we'll learn. Welcome back, everybody. Jeff here, and today I'm in the gorgeous home of Mickey Grimlin and Mary Margaret Bodenhammer in Houston, Texas. Mickey is a psychotherapist in private practice and the owner of Southwest Psychotherapy Associates. Mary Margaret works in the pharmaceutical sales industry and is a business manager at Pfizer. Mickey started our conversation, but Mary Margaret quickly chimed in. We met at Baylor University in Waco 40 years ago. 40 years? 40 years ago. And we were sorority sisters. And we ran in two different groups. You can tell this part. I was the wild child. I, I ran with the party girls at Baylor. And Mickey was the uh, the chaplain of our sorority, so she ran with a whole different, you know, ilk of women, if you will. But we were all very good friends. <clears throat> but we never were... Um, in the same, you know, environment with our friends, we always just saw each other in the big crowd, but we had this gravitation to one another. We never, we didn't know what that was when we were 18 and 19 years of age. But anytime we were at a party or a function, we would always find each other. And just separate from our groups as we chat, and there was always this energy between us, always. But after college, we never really kept in touch or anything like that. And my coming out was... When I was, I was married 24 years to a man and had three girls that were, uh, when I finally came out, were 16, 14, and 10. But about five years before that, I had fallen in love with a woman. And I always kind of wondered, am I gay? Because I'm really attracted to women. And then, not proud of this, but I had an affair with a woman. And that confirmed it. You're gay. But I convinced myself for years that I wasn't. It was just that woman. But that kind of opened the box. And so I was single when we had an invitation to a Pi Fi reunion. And I thought immediately, I wonder if Mary Margaret will be there. And I wonder if she's single. Because I think she might be gay. So I went to the reunion hoping she would be there. And I was there. So, um, But, but why know, did you go? Well, my, my coming out, if you will, I, I would just say I consider myself a late bloomer. And so my coming out happened later in life. I was probably in my late 40s. I'd been married twice. Like Mickey, I married someone out of Baylor. I never had children. That marriage lasted a very short period of time. I married again four years later to an older fella. Excuse me, that marriage did not last, and I was single for 30 years. And I was at a work function, a training class in my industry, and a woman was in the class, and she actually came on to me. And... It felt right, and it felt normal and natural, and so that was my late in life coming out, if you will. So she kind of opened the door for me. It was not a good relationship. It was not a good. Uh, it was not a good match at all, and I ended the relationship. And so I had just spent five years by myself, single, working, family, church, friends. I just sequestered myself and just you know worked on me. And I ran into Mickey at this uh, reunion trip, and it was just a. It didn't happen immediately, but there was the gravitation, the pull between us was still there. That same energy that you felt at Baylor? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, only it was more, more mature. More mature. And she was with that woman for seven years, so long enough to know that she was probably gay. And I think she still, I think you might even still classify yourself as bi. 
you know, I'm I'm happily married to Mickey, and so I'll just say I am, you know, I'm engaged in a the relationship I've always wished to be in. So it's a wonderful thing. The reunion was successful. How did you know when you reconnected? Was it did you know immediately that day, or was it uh, several weeks later? I knew immediately. I looked across the room at her, and she was talking to some friends of ours. And as soon as I saw her, I thought, oh, I'm so dating her. And she looked at me, and she <laughs> smiled, and she nodded her head like, I'm coming over to talk to you, like, hey. And as soon as we hugged, um, we have two remembrances of this, but she said in my ear, hey, I'm really proud of you for being so brave that you went on Oprah and came out on Oprah, and I'm really proud of you. You were very brave. And I said, well, thanks. And I leaned back, and I said, are you gay? And she said, I haven't seen you in 40 years, and the first thing you're going to ask me is if I'm gay. Well, and I don't remember that at all. I think I said to her that I had been with a woman. Um, I volunteered that information just so she would know. You know, I yeah. to plant. And you said seven years, which was what? I wanted to plant the seed just in case there was right. anything to it. So. That was your way of telling yeah. her. So I think she was thinking friend at that point, and I was thinking, oh, I'm dating her. Like, So I think we had a different... And I think thought. probably my thought process, because I actually saw Mickey on the Oprah show, the word matriculated amongst our group that Mickey Gremlin was going to be on the Oprah show with her story. And I had no clue because I'd never kept in touch with Mickey after we got out of college. I didn't even know she had three children for that matter. And I saw her on the show and I thought, wow. And I was involved in this very tumultuous, you know, wrong relationship, if you will. And I thought, I really need, she's my peer. I need to talk to her sometime. And so maybe I just threw it out there in the universe, and somehow it came back to me years later. So here we are. The boomerang. Yeah. So we hung out a couple times just as friends, and she said, hey, I travel to Houston all the time. And I said, well, let's get together. So one time she came, and we, we had drinks, and we had dinner, and we had another friend with us that night. One, of our, other, up, one of our other sorority sisters. Right. That, she wanted to come with us as well. And we ended up at a friend's house that night, and then the next time she came to town... I think we saw each other. I came to you. Did you come it to does, we, It doesn't matter. So for, there were a couple friend encounters. And then she called and said, hey, listen, I am going to come to Houston. And all the hotels are booked because it was that big oil International thing. Underwater Drilling Convention or something. Right. And I said, well, stay with me. I have an extra bedroom and bathroom. You can have your own little wing and come stay with me. I'd love to have you. And so that's the weekend that we kissed for the first time. Ah. Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, we were sitting on the couch and we'd been talking for like a couple hours, I think. And I said, can I kiss you? And she goes, like right now? And I'm like, yes, like right now. And she's like, uh, okay. And that was it. That we were, sort of sounds like what I know about you. So you're more the risk taker, Mickey. Oh, <laughs> I look at her eye. You can certainly tell. <laughs> <laughs> certainly. Yes, I yes. am. And I'm more direct than she is. And I'm more kind of uh, out there than she is. She's very, as you can tell, laid back and chill and zen all the time. Mary Margaret, when did you decide, okay, this is serious and I'm going to go to Houston and make this long term? I think uh, during the course of our, you know, dating relationship, um, knowing Mickey, and I've known her for 40 years, and everybody loved Mickey. I mean, that Mickey just, as you know, she has this energy that's so infectious. And as I spent time with her, and, and we had long conversations, I told her, one of the original, one of our first meetings, 
probably the first time I was in Houston, we went to lunch before I got on the plane to fly back to Dallas. And we had this big, big, deep conversation. I just told her, I said, you fed my soul in a way that I haven't been fed in a long time. You fed my soul. That's exactly, those are the words I've said to her. And I just gave her a big hug because it was like, wow, you know, somebody with such depth. I think I'd been hungry for that. So that's, I've sort of organically evolved into the relationship, I think, much more so than Mickey. Mickey was, she was in quickly, so... And I think just spending time with Mickey and her, the way she is with her family and the way she is with her extended family, it just, it felt so right. Yeah, because I'd had, you know, I'd been by myself for 30 years. I've been working on my career. I've just been like, she who travels fastest travels alone. And it was time to not be alone anymore. You mentioned family. Tell me about that. I know that you all got married last year. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how have you blended family and friends into your world and into your lives? Well, it's been real easy on my part because I've been out for 17 years. So my girls have been adjusted to the fact that I'm gay. My friends all, you know, I'm very out and very public about it. And my girls really, now I had been through, I've been through some tumultuous uh, relational things in my life. And so my kids are, were a little, you know, they don't know if somebody's staying or not. And so when Mary Margaret came out, they were, you know, cautious, but they're not cautious anymore. I mean, they are all in. And she is a grandmother, an equal grandmother to me of our firstborn grandchild. In fact, Andy reached for her before she reached for anybody. Andy's the baby. Andy's the baby who's who's 15 months right now. Ah. And so we are grandparenting together, and my kids have really bonded with her. And here's a great story. Um, the, the way the bond happened immediately for my baby child was that we were, the girls and I were leaving for Belize a couple summers ago. And Cammie had driven from Dallas to here and got here at like 6 o'clock. We, and we had a 10 o'clock flight to Belize. And she calls me crying because I have one more session at work. Mom, I left my passport in Dallas. And she was sick. And she was had the really bad cold. Should I get in the car and drive back and get it? I'm like, oh my gosh, Cammy, give me give me an hour. And we'll figure something out. I'll call you back. And I just text her and said, you're not gonna believe what Cammy did. And I went into my session. When I got out, there's a text message. No problem. Passport will be there one o'clock. All taken care of. One o'clock a.m. Because it was six p.m. Don't worry. And I'm like, what? Mary Margaret texted that. Yes. Too. So Mary Margaret called this friend of hers who knows everyone who hired a, she hired a security guard of his employee to go and get with Cammie's boyfriend, go to the apartment, get the passport, drive it all the way to Houston. It did cost us a little money to do that. Oh, That's okay. <laughs> that is one expensive passport. No kidding. But from as far as Cammie was concerned, from that minute on, she oh. was BFFs with Mary Margaret. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just, what a great story. Do what you got to do. You know? Yeah, so she was she was Cammy's hero from the beginning. So they were like bonded immediately. That was really early on in our relationship. And what about your side of the family, Mary Margaret? Well, it's been a little tougher sledding, if you will. My family uh, knew of my relationship with the other woman, and they were um, not obviously in favor of it. They didn't like her as a person, for one thing, and they certainly didn't like the fact that, you know, my, as my mother said, I'm so sorry you've decided to be a lesbian. 
So that's you get that mentality. So it's that right wing, you know, conservative. It's not what the Bible says. You're going to hell, and it's been a little. It's been a little tough. However, they saw us this past weekend. We had a family gathering. All the families came together with the babies. My nieces have just had babies, and our grandchild and those little girls are all the same age. So <clears throat> we met this past weekend, and everybody came together, and we had a little crisis, and we all they got to see how we come together as a family in crisis. So it was. Um, it's not been easy, and it's still not easy, but it's a little better. It's my life, and I'm living my life, and they can either come along or they can just, you know, not come along, and that's yeah. kind of the way I feel about it. And the crisis was, Mickey, you yes. had an accident in a swimming Well, what pool. happened was we were at our friend's house who has like a Schlitterbahn slide, and of course I got to do what the boys are doing because, as you said, I'm a little bit of a daredevil, and inside the slide I whacked my head and was knocked unconscious and dropped down into a swimming pool down below where nobody could see me and was floating down to the bottom because I was unconscious. And her nephew got there first, jumped in the water. I was still unconscious, pulled me out of the water as the whole family comes down the hill. And I I don't remember anything until I was in the ambulance. However, I was evidently talking to everybody, saying I'm okay. She was actually bossing everybody around. Imagine that. (laughs) <laughs> and so, anyway, but what happened was her right-wing family got to watch my children connected to her, huddling around her, seeking comfort from her, watching her manage the whole situation, and then our families just totally came together around this crisis, because everybody didn't know if I was going to be okay or not, and I was totally okay, I just had a concussion, and this big black eye. It was pretty scary in the beginning because there was a lot of blood and there was a lot of, you know, wacky talking because she was had just been knocked cold and coming out, you know, and, and spitting up water that she took in when she got in the pool. It, it, was, it was a very scary situation, but everybody came together to make sure she was okay. And anyway, there there's a metaphor in all that, and we'll figure it out one day. But, well, the uh, silver lining was that your family got to see how you care for each other. Yes. And how our family is a real family. Yes. Yeah, so I'll trade a black eye for that. <laughs> it's worth it. Yes. So both of you have had previous relationships, um, some with women, some with men. What would you say that you took from those previous relationships and apply in your relationship with each other now? Both, both things that were positive that you want to replicate as well as things that you learn not to do? Communication. I mean, we both have had, I had a 24-year very good marriage. The only reason really we broke up was because I was gay. And we really tried to stay in the marriage together, knowing that I'm gay, and we had a lot of counseling around it and a lot of open conversation about it. And finally, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so it was a very sad breakup. But our relational dynamic in my marriage was really good. So I think the main thing is really a lesbian or a gay relationship is no different than a straight relationship in terms of what's really important, which is honesty, openness, communication, knowing that you're going to have conflicts. And it's in the conflicts really that you grow deeper and that you get closer is working through those in healthy and effective ways. I would say so everything I learned in my 24-year marriage, I apply to this marriage, 
and all the mistakes I've made over my life have contributed to a much more healthy relationship with Mary Margaret. Say more about the conflict, because, you know, we're conditioned in our culture to avoid conflict, and we're told anger and conflict, that's it's, that's a bad thing. Stay away from mm-hmm. it. But I agree with you. Conflict can actually be a path to connection. But I think it's the... That. You have to risk intimacy to have intimacy. And intimacy means into me see, letting someone really see inside of you. And we can't really do that until we're sharing our shadow sides because they don't get a 360 view until we risk opening our kimono and showing the things that we're not good at. And and you're going to bump into those in a relationship. It's just inevitable in every single relationship. And I'm a processor. I'm a talker. And she's an internalizer. You're different in that We're way. different. And so that's been a bit of a Diametrically opposed, I can promise you. Because I push her to talk. And and she, it's really interesting the way it happens. Because she, she'll be trying. And then she'll be like... And then she'll just get frustrated with herself. Because she's like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> like, but she sticks in there. And she really has learned she's learned first of all that i'm ferocious about it and that we have to talk through everything and in the beginning it drove her crazy i think did it no <laughs> <laughs> yes she agrees yes. quickly yes but she's i think you see the value of it now i do well but talk from your perspective mary margaret what, what's that like to be with someone who wants to talk about feelings and process things and how do you... God gave me Mickey because I needed Mickey. Because I think back to your original question about the, what did I take from my previous relationships to bring to this one. I wasn't in those relationships very long. I would, I would, I, I use this word and, and it's, it's a negative connotation and I don't mean it that way. But I feel like I was relationally challenged because I never was in a relationship long enough to go through the ups and downs. My first marriage lasted six months. My second marriage lasted 11 months. And then I was single for 30 years. And then well, I was in relation... because you were with Kim. I was in relation with the woman for seven. We never lived in the same state. I really never saw her very often. That seven years you lived well, as I, long as She lived in Mississippi and I lived in Texas and, I, or, and then Missouri because I moved to Missouri with my work for nine years. So that's what you mean, even when you were in relationship, you weren't really in relationship. That's exactly right. So my, I have very little history in relationship, like any type of foundational, um, you know, I guess, it, it, do I bring anything from my relationships? I know that my picker got stuck. I chose the wrong person each and every time, three times. And this is my chance to like now I'm like rip it open and like I'm I'm sort of a virgin in relationships if you will and not anymore so I have to talk a lot you have to talk I do it's incumbent upon me to like really talk I I'm assuming though there must be some sensitivity around not wanting a dynamic where Mickey is the therapist expert communications field. What would you say Mary Margaret brings to the relational dynamic oh that, my gosh. that helps you, Mickey, that it's, offsets any places where you struggle? It is the healthiest relationship I've ever had because she's real zen. She's really balanced. And I'm hyperactive and hyper aroused most of the time, just the way my personality works. So she has taught me how to slow down 
how to take more time alone, more than anybody's taught me, and how important downtime is and quiet time. And I want to be with her, like, all the time. And so I miss her when we're not. She travels a lot for business. And so I miss her a lot. So that always is, I'm always in this state of, oh, good, she's fixing to come home. It's really exciting. But what she brings that I'm not good at is a really even keel, slow and steady. Let's have some quiet time. You don't need to have 800 things on your calendar. Let's let's mark off some days that we do absolutely nothing. And she's really taught me how to do that. And it's been great. Can you say more about what you think the keys to good communication are? Besides not being afraid of conflict and staying calm. Being afraid of conflict is okay. You just still have to walk into it. Because I think everybody's somewhat afraid of conflict because you're afraid of losing the attachment, but being afraid and engaging anyway. So for me, the key to communication, and Mickey's, we're both communicators. I mean, we both, I mean, even though I'm a little more stoic and reserved and... Sure, you're in sales. You must be quite good at it in in some ways. Thank you. I um, I just feel like, you know, I'd rather listen than talk. That's just, and I'm in management now, so I, I manage salespeople, so I have to listen to them a lot. And I, I think it's important to be a good listener in communication. And I think that's the key for us is Mickey is so busy in her work in psychotherapy and, and, and she doesn't bring it home necessarily to, to me. She doesn't try to therapize me. I call them, don't therapize me, you know. Um, but I think we talk about family and we have calendar meetings and, you know, because we both are so busy. It's just... We have to make time for each other. That's so important. We have to communicate. And I have to communicate my needs to her because I'm. that's typically not what I've been very good at. I've never really been like, I need this, I need that. Now I've gotten a little more assertive. Is that fair? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little more assertive. Not totally, but I'm you've a got more, much more. You've gotten much more communicative about what you need. I have a voice now with Mickey like, I need some downtime. We need some downtime. Because... If we didn't, if I didn't say that, we would be going warp speed all the time. It must be a challenge because I know when we're done here today, you're going to babysit your granddaughter, Mickey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our granddaughter, yeah. 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 So how do you, how do you do that with? What's it like being grandparents? Well, I never had children in the first place, so this is like I like like leapt right over that process into the you know grandmotherhood, and it's <laughs> awesome because we can have Andy and then like. Here, Taylor and Willie, she's yours. We're out of here. <laughs> it's no, all the it's all the yummy and none of the none of the hard stuff because we're not tired of her ever. Sure. We it doesn't matter if she throws a temper tantrum, which she rarely even does. Well, and the fact that I mean, she's the first, and her personality and her whole spirit, she's such a happy baby, mm-hmm. and so that makes a lot of difference, I think, and just the way she shows up in the world and the way she interacts with all of us. I mean, the next. I predict we'll have six grandkids, and it'll be a whole different ballgame, I'm sure, with the next one and the next one and the next one. So, But it's beautiful to watch Mary Margaret become a, a grandparent because, like I said earlier, Andy reached for her first out of everyone, and it melted her. And just the look in her eye when that baby reached her arms out for her. And, of course, it didn't melt Mickey. She's like, ah! She uh, reached for you first, first before me. me. You never give her a chance because you always swoop in to get her. You know? 
<laughs> but it's been fun, and it and it's been fun to watch my kids watch Mary Margaret be a grandparent, which has bonded them even more to her, and uh, and the whole family rallies around this little girl. This little girl's going to be so she's got so much attention because I have all girls, and so everybody's like all over Andy all the time. But it's been great. It's made our family even closer. Mickey, as a, a psychotherapist, and you're not just in private practice, you actually run uh, a group. You have a staff of therapists, mm-hmm. right? So you yeah. manage and supervise other therapists. Sounds like a very busy, uh, hectic job. You ever come home and feel like, oh, no, I do not want to talk to you, Mary. I've been talking to people, listening to people, processing feelings all day, all week. It's Friday. Uh, no, stay away from me. Do you, how do you manage that? I I don't know why this is, but it is so true. I have a ridiculous amount of energy. I literally, probably, what, five times the whole time we've been together, I don't register tired. I just don't. I'm a hyper-energetic person. And I, I just have natural energy most all the time. So my work... My work turns me on. It does not drain me at all. Charges your battery. It charges me. It does not drain me. So there are eight therapists in our practice, and we cover a myriad of all kinds of different specialties in terms each person has their own expertise. And I love what I do. I feel like it's my vocation. It's not a job. It's I was put on the planet to do it. I love doing it. And so I'm a high-energy person. I rarely, rarely register tired. Isn't that true? She's yeah. like, do you ever... Are you ever tired? And rarely. And there, I, I cannot think of one time that since we've been living together that she's come home and brought her home work with her in a negative connotation. Um, now, some a, a client may be experiencing something horrific, and she might carry that a little bit, but she never talks about details. But, you know, I'm like, what's up? And she'll just mention, you know, like casually what's going on. I'm like, oh. Like but if it's, I'm worried about somebody. It's never... It's never um, come between us and ever in our communication or what have you. I leave work at work for the most part, and I try to be present at home 100% once I'm home. You're on the phone a lot at home with your clients. So well, that's, that doesn't make her happy. No, it, it's, uh, uh, it's part of the job. That's why she's very good at what she does. And you're in a different field, but is it hard for you to turn off work to be present? Well, because of what I do in the in the industry I'm in, it's a high pressure job, and because I manage, I'm responsible for the sales of our product in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas, and I have nine people that report to me, and they're like my work family, so I'm very involved in all of their lives, and not in a way, but I mean, I'm just I care about these people, and they're like my I hired every single one of them. So we we're in this we're in this game together. So I have a hard time turning that off. I have a lot of responsibility, a lot of responsibility. So the other thing that we do is that we keep our marriage fresh. Like we're going to the Gottman Institute to take the Science of Love class for couples, not as a therapist, but as a couple. So we're going to do that in Seattle in, in October. October. And so we do a lot of things to educate our marriage, to keep our marriage fresh. When we first got married, we took we had uh, some sessions with a Gottman therapist and did kind of pre-counseling to our marriage to make sure that we had, you know, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted her to be ver- ver- versed on the four horsemen, the things that really can destroy a marriage, 
to make sure that we were on board with how to keep it fresh and alive. So I like to do educational things. We worship together. We pray together. We share our faith together. We um, we have a lot of fun together. We do. We have a lot of fun. That's so important in, in my practice. I think there's a bit of research that says couples in general wait six years from the moment that one or both begin to be concerned about the relationship. They wait six years before they ask for help. Mm, and wow. so that's why therapists are often dealing with so much resentment. Well, the yeah. resentment's Bills. more of a problem than the actual set of issues. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about proactive, preventative yes. care. And that yes. you're going to this Gottman uh, weekend, not not to deal with specific problems, but just to refresh and replenish. Mm-hmm. I wish more couples would take that advice. Right. We want to be preventative rather than cleaning up messes. We want to be on this side. And well, the way I look at it, this is my last shot. I'm 60 <laughs> years old. I'm not doing this again. So this is my last shot. I don't. I have no intention of going anywhere. So we might as well just make it like wholesome and wonderful while we're doing it. You're right? going to get it right. That's right. So, Well, is there anything as we sort of uh, close out our conversation that you really want to be sure our listeners know in terms of Younger couples, what if you had to leave them with one or two nuggets about how to make relationships resilient, what would you say? Some of the things we've talked about, educate yourself, and when there's a conflict, be brave and walk into it and stay with it until you break through, because there's always a breakthrough if you're willing to talk about it. Let go of defensiveness and be open up to looking at yourself and how you're contributing to the problem. Uh, I would say honor your partner, honor their person. You'll never change that person. Accept and love exactly who they are because that's why you fell in love with them in the first place, because of who they are. Say more about you're never going to change them because I think a lot of people think if I keep trying or if I say it different, they're going to be different. It'll never happen. Accept them as they are, period, end of story. Mary Margaret and Mickey, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thanks, Jeff. It's been enjoyable to be with you. Please come back anytime. I will. Thank you. Do you know any LGBT couples with interesting stories and wisdom to share on the show? Jeff would love to meet them, so please contact him through the website at qmarriagementors.com. Until next time, thanks for listening, and have a great week.